0: Good morning, family. Hope everyone's having a good time. I think Brian's the only one that said good morning. He was just right here. Thank you. Well, I mean, you already did it. You didn't have to say it again. But no one else chimed in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hope everyone's having,
0: what was that? I said be like Brian. Yes, be like Brian. Uh, What would Brian do? So, (laughs) hope everyone's having a great morning. Uh, We are going to continue our series through the book of Acts this morning. We'll be in Acts chapter 14, so if you want to uh, look it up in your Bibles and prepare for that, you may. Um, But we're going to continue the story of Paul and Barnabas as they're on this missionary journey and see what happens with them as they encounter conflict. But before we do that, before we dive into that, let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Now, brother, thank you so much for this time when we can gather together as your body, when we can open up your word and see how you have moved throughout history, how you have used your people to grow your church, and how that is true for us as well. Well, I just pray for this time that you will teach us what we need to be taught, that you show us what we need to see, and that you can build us up in the ways we need to grow, that you move us to uh, where we need to go. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So imagine for a moment, if you will, that you lived in a kingdom. This is a great kingdom. It's ruled by a good king. And in fact, this good king is so good that once people know who he is, they have to give them their allegiance and they they love him. But the fact of the matter is that there's so many people in this kingdom that do not know this good king. And so he sends out People to tell about his goodness, and people can know him and respond to him and see him as their king, as he rightfully is. And that was true for you. You once did not know this king, but because he sent a messenger and told you about this, you have now taken, become, from, taken from being destitute now from having, to having a home and knowing who this king truly is and loving him. So much so that now he has made you a messenger yourself, that he's given you a task. He says, you now have to go and share my goodness and my decree, my royal decrees with the other people of this kingdom who do not know me. Because you love this king, you go, and you, even though you think this is a huge monumental task, you go and you say, I have to tell people just about how good their king is. And so you go to the village that he sends you to, and you, as a royal herod, you open up the scroll and maybe you start declaring to these people in this village just who their king is. And so you say, dear citizens of the realm, though your king is good, and though he has provided for you, he's led you well, he's given you everything you need, everything you could possibly want he has given you, you have turned away the crowd that had gathered when you started to proclaim they start grumbling and saying who is this guy to tell us how we have acted and who in fact is this king he's talking about that we have turned away from so you start you continue declaring what the king has given you to say and you say you have turned away and you you each act like you're your own king where you actually are under a rightful king you have rebelled and you go your own way and the crowd Continues to grumble, and they're getting a little bit uh, more upset and saying, how dare you even say that we have to obey someone we don't even know? So you, dec- you continue to declare to them, because of your rebellion, because you've gone astray, and you've chosen your own way to live like your own masters, you live like your own kings, deny this rightful king, and the crowd crumbling, they can't even stand anymore, they're getting offended, then who does this king think he is? Who does this guy think he is saying this to us? So you continue. You deserve to die. Well, they don't like that, and so they grumble anymore, and they start to shout. You say, you deserve to die, but, but, and they still are shouting and trying to drown you out, but you say, but there's hope. Even though you deserve to die, even though that is a sentence that our good and just king could have carried out at any point, and he would have still been good, and he would have still been just. He is patient and long-suffering with you, but they are not listening to it. And they grumble, and they complain, and they start to shout over you, and you say, but there is me even better hope. That our debt, our penalty, our, our way in which we have rebelled has been paid for by the king's own son. But they're not even listening to it anymore and they're shouting at you as you try to give them hope that they truly can be forgiven. But they object and it offends them that they would even have to be forgiven. And so they start to shout you out. And you experience this conflict as you proclaim this decree from the king. Expect conflict. Because if you haven't realized it yet, if you're a Christian, you are that herald, that messenger sent by a good king to declare to everyone that he is their rightful king. That they stand opposed to him. And that they can have reconciliation or come back into his good gracious through his son. But people don't like it. When you declare the gospel the good news of who Jesus is, expect conflict. It brings conflict because when you stand in front of people or you're in a conversation with someone and you tell them that there is a God, these people who have lived their whole life as if there is not a God or lived their whole life as if they are God, expect conflict when you say there is a rightful, just God that you sit under. It brings conflict. When people are going their own way and living their own life how they want to and feeding their desires in whatever way, when you declare to them that that is wrong, that is going astray, and there's a penalty for that in God's eyes, expect conflict. Even when you bring the hope that there is a Savior through whom they can be forgiven, expect conflict because no one wants to be forgiven because they don't think they need to be forgiven. How dare you insult me with that? When we declare the gospel, expect conflict. And that is what we see in the book of Acts in chapter 14. We see Barnabas, we see Paul, and they're going to these different cities, and they're preaching the gospel, they're declaring who God is, and they're declaring the good news, that they can have forgiveness of their sins through Jesus Christ. And how do people react? With conflict again and again. So let's read the book of Acts uh, in chapter 14 and see how this conflict is played out in Paul and Barnabas' uh, journey. So if you remember, just a little backstory uh, from chapter 13 is that Paul and Barnabas, they were in... Uh, the city of Antioch, and they were proclaiming the gospel, and they declared the gospel message, and people were getting upset. And so they had left at the end of that to go to the city of Iconium, which is in the same general region. And so that's where they'll be. They're still going to stay in these, there's going to be a lot of place names, but they're still in the same general region, which is modern-day central Turkey, as they are ministering to these different cities and growing the church, or implanting churches, really. Some sided with the Jews, and some with apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews, with their rulers, to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lestra in Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And they continue and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lestra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and and Paul heard of, of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel in that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord and whom they had believed. Then they passed through uh, 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 Peseda and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Antilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they were, had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. There's a long section of passage, a lot of narrative of what's going on there. But how could we sum, sum that up? And I'll just suggest this God uses our steadfastness to grow the church. God uses our steadfastness to grow the church. So that's what we see in Acts 14. That Paul and Barnabas, they start preaching the gospel. And as we saw earlier, and as we see again and again, they encountered conflict. People did not want to receive it. The people who did not believe, they rose up against them. But there's all this different kind of conflict, but they stayed on mission. They continued to preach the gospel. And because of their steadfastness, the church was planted in these cities. And the church grew in these cities. And so we see that God used them in their steadfastness to say true to the mission, to grow the church. That God uses our steadfastness to grow the church. In Acts 14, we see this happening because we see a conclude. We see the continuation and conclusion of Paul's first missionary journey. If you caught that at the end, it's talking about how basically he was wrapping up a lot of works and he traveled back through the cities and then basically followed his his journey back to where they were sent from, was Antioch. So we go, what is going on here? What is happening in all these place names and all these cities that were maybe not that familiar with? Well, it starts with Paul and Barnabas standing in Antioch, and they're preaching as they normally do in the synagogue. And some people believe, some people don't. So that there's division. So much so that even they, they, they're going to start to, maybe going to kill Paul and Barnabas. And they hear about it. So they flee to a, a, a close city, Lestra, And there they perform a miracle. God uses them to heal this guy who's lamed. But these people who have a different worldview they see Paul and Barnabas perform this great miracle and they naturally assume, ah, these are the gods, come down and walk with us. This is Zeus, Barnabas, and this is Hermes. And Paul's like, why do I have to be Hermes? And they're like, well, because you talk so much. You're Hermes, you're the messenger of the gods, right? And so they say, you're gods, and they even tried to sacrifice oxen to them. And they plead with him, what are you doing? We're just men like you. And they point to the God, the God of creation, that people all should know. And then these Jews who were against them in Iconium and Antioch follow them to Lystra, so much to the point where they convince people to stone Paul and leave him for dead. But he gets back up, and he heads right back into the city, and then goes to the neighboring city. And they grow disciples, plant the church. And when they come back, they go back through all those cities again, even where they experienced conflict, to make sure the church was growing, it was on the right foot before they went back, traveled their, uh, back to Antioch or from where they were sent. And in all of that, we see how God uses our steadfastness to grow the church. When you look at this story, I think you see at least three distinct different types of conflict that Paul and Barnabas experience. You see the conflict of division, you see the conflict of misunderstanding, and you see the conflict of outright assault upon them. And through all of those conflicts, you see them standing firm and being steadfast in preaching the gospel. And I think we can learn about how we should live our life for the glory of Christ as well through these conflicts. So let's talk about these conflicts one by one. It starts in Anconium, Anconium, where Paul and Barnabas experienced that first type of conflict. They experienced division. They preached the gospel, and some believed and some didn't. And so there was intense division between those who believed and those who didn't. Even says that those who did not believe tried to poison the minds of other people against Paul and Barnabas. This is not a live and let live type of division. No one was saying, hey, you do you, boo, and we'll do us. No one was saying that. They were at each other's throats, so much to the point that they actually were planning to stone Paul and Barnabas right there, right then. They were poisoning the minds of people. They were corrupting people. It's not a petty division. This was a deep division. And what was their response? I love it, because you can see kind of three things that happened in response to this deep division. It says they remained there a long time. In the midst of division, they remained there. People were out for them. You could probably imagine there was conflict, open conflict in the streets, maybe in the synagogues where people met together. People were probably shouting insults, people whispering about them, poisoning people's minds about them, and yet they remained there. They didn't cut and run. So often when we encounter division, it's so easy, just when it gets uncomfortable, you're like, ah, I'm out of here. But Paul and Barnabas, they knew that the gospel was important enough that they stayed even in the midst of this division. They didn't give up. They continued to preach. And it also says, they spoke boldly I love that because when there's division happening, when there's conflict happening, how easy is it for us to shrink back and just stay quiet? We're like, oh, people are really opinionated here. I just won't speak my opinion and all will be okay. But that's not what they said. That's what I not know what happened. They spoke boldly. They were reclaiming the gospel boldly. They weren't jerks about it. They probably were not insulting people like other people were doing them, but they were bold in it. They were not going to shrink back. They were not going to change their message. They were not going to tell her the message to uh, please the, uh, the, the Iconium, so they make it pleasing to them so they would respond in a better way. No, they spoke boldly. They said, this is it. This is who Jesus is. You need to come to know who he is to be saved. Without him, you can't be saved. They spoke boldly. In the, the truth to all who would hear. And then finally we see how God used that. I love how it says God, how he basically granted these signs and wonders to approve and, and attest to their message. I love the phrasing in, in this passage. It says, God witnessed to the word of his grace. It's almost like God saw them be steadfast and proclaim who he was. And so what does he do? Granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. That God sees them stand firm in the midst of conflict. And he says, here, let this prove to the people who you are. You're mine. You speak my truth. And so God was moving uh, through them to do things so people could know what the truth was. That people would listen to what Paul and Barnabas were preaching. God uses our steadfastness to grow the church. And it's true for us as well. It's true for Paul and Barnabas. He used them in great ways. We have it attested to us through the scripture in the book of Acts, but it's true for us as well, especially in a divided time. When we read this, man, it should probably spike some uh, a ring true, I should say, for us right now, because we live in a divided time. I don't know if you're aware of that, but if you open up any kind of social media platform, you become aware of it really fast. And I'm not just talking about politics, which is really divided. I'm just talking about anything. Speak your opinion about anything, it seems like, in the public sphere, and there's going to be ten people who have a different opinion, and they're going to let you know about it. We live in a divided time where people seem to be at their throats, and I don't think you see this any more distinct and clear between those who stand for Christ and those who stand not for Christ. That there's a divide, there's a division here that people seem to be more and more willing to speak out against what we believe. The more and more willing to tell us how we're wrong and we shouldn't believe how we believe. The more and more willing to say, hey, everyone's welcomed here except for you. Because there's this division going on within our culture, within our society, around the world, that's happened forever. This seems to maybe be more prevalent now than maybe in the in the years preceding now. And so we have this division. So what do we do? Well, I think we know what we should do. That we boldly proclaim who Jesus is. In the midst of division, in the midst of feeling isolated, in the midst of knowing that if you speak your opinion about who Jesus is and how he is the only way to have a relationship with God, and you know you're going to get attacked, we're called all the more to be bold in proclaiming it. We're called all the more to be standing on that truth and say, this is the truth and this is where I stand. We're not jerks about it. We need to tell the people the truth that how they're living and, and their, their separation from God, their rebellion as expressed through sin. That's keeping them away from a life with, with, with God. We need to be clear about that, that sin separates us. And there's only one way back. There's only one way that takes care of that sin, and that's Jesus Christ. But we're not jerks about it. We're not ugly about it. We speak with love because we're we're once like them. Even if their sin is more bold and more more gratuitous and more out there than anything we've done, we were just like them before we knew Christ. So we speak with love and passion and say you must know who Christ is. We speak boldly as we stand on on the word of truth and on God's word. Even when peoples are poisoned against us, just like it said in Iconium, that people who did not believe in the message that Paul and Barnabas brought, they poisoned the minds of those who were maybe on the fence against them. And that happens so easily—smear campaigns and, and this insults. People's minds can be poisoned against their truth, and we still need to speak boldly the truth with love. The greatest thing is that we trust that God will still be at work. Just like God worked through Paul and Barnabas and he performed those miracles and signs, we stand true, we speak the truth of love, we develop those relationships with the purpose so that we can share who Christ is and we trust that God is still at work. And we can see signs and wonders, the biggest and best ones being when someone who's darkened in understanding, who has a hardened heart, comes to know Christ is. And we see that the greatest miracle happened there as someone is born again. So we speak the truth in love, knowing that God is still at work. Because even in the midst of conflict, God uses our steadfastness to grow the church. But it's not just divisions that we can encounter. As we see in Paul and Barnabas, they faced another uh, conflict, and that was the conflict of misunderstanding or confusion. Because after Iconium, they go to Lystra, and, they, and God uses and performs this miracle where a, a man born lame often can walk. He jumps up, he leaps up, and he starts walking. People are amazed, but they misunderstand it. They think it's Zeus and Hermes walking among them. And so they want to offer sacrifices. What they were doing was they were misunderstood. They didn't grasp the message. They were confused. They were attributing God's work to false gods and sought to honor them instead of the one true God. This is the conflict of the worldview of how people see the world. See, how Paul and Barbus knew the world to be was very different than how the people in Lestra knew the world to be or thought the world to be. Paul and Barbus knew there was one true God who created everything. They knew the scriptures. They knew the Old Testament. That was what the, they were raised on. They knew this. They, they had the worldview of that honored God for who he is. But the, the people in Lestra they were seeped in a false understanding of the world. They're seeped in what we study in school of Greek mythology. And so in their minds, the gods were just like bigger humans who had the, the foibles of humans. And they were sometimes did good and sometimes did bad. And so in their minds, the human, these gods would come down and look like humans and would do weird stuff. And so when they saw weird stuff happen, like someone being healed, they immediately thought, oh, this is Zeus and Hermes. And so what you have there is... Paul and Barnabas have to lay out a correction for how people see the world. They had to correct people's worldview. And how could you do that? Paul starts with who God is. For that is the foundation for everything. He says, you guys are off on these vain pursuits offering sacrifices to Zeus and Hermes and other people like that when you should be recognizing that there is a living God. The living God who created everything that you see here. The living God that you should recognize exists. Why? Because he's giving you rain. He's giving you harvests. He's giving you gladness in your heart. You should recognize this by who you are and what you see, that there is a God that you need to worship, and these things are not them. He corrects their worldview. What he's doing is basically laying out this, this uh, plant, this, uh, this uh, building um, um, plan of who God is so they can recognize and receive the gospel message that they're about to preach to them. And he's laying out that you can know God through the world he created, which if you like theology, is called general revelation, that God reveals himself to the whole world through the world he has has made. It's throughout the Bible. If you go to Psalm 19, you see this when the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God they're saying when you look up in the night sky you know there's a creator who made this and he is powerful this is what Paul himself would later when he wrote down the letter of Romans would say this for what can be known about God is plain to them talking about humanity is plain to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made Paul is saying When people, any humans, no matter where or when, look upon what is made, they clearly can perceive that there is a God who made this. His fingerprints are upon all of creation. He was seeking to correct their understanding so that they could receive how he's going to talk about how they have now gone away or or their rebellion against this good God who made everything. But the conflict ensues because they have a misunderstanding, just confusion. They don't comprehend what's going on. I bet we have all experienced that when lines of communication have failed, there's conflict, right? When you might be using the wor- same word as the same, in the way that someone else is using the same word, but you mean totally different things when you're talking to each other, there's conflict. Conflict ensues when there's misunderstanding or, or a confusion. If you've been married for any length of time, you know this to be true. Because that's naturally what happens. It seems like communication is hard. And saying what you mean can be hard. And then conflict ensues because we talk past each other or we're talking and people not listening. Or I don't do that, but other people might. Don't talk to my wife. So, but this conflict ensues because of this misunderstanding. And it's the same for us as well. Our faith in who Christ is can be easily misunderstood. That people either because they've heard wrong things or maybe they've heard things wrongly, they have misunderstandings about what it means to be a Christian. Or maybe they have misunderstandings of what the Bible actually says. Or maybe they've heard something and someone has, has presented some form of Christianity to them that is false. And so they don't understand what's going on. Well, let's just take some, some very common misunderstandings I think we encounter probably on a day-to-day basis. And we might even have to wrestle within ourselves. There's the great common misunderstanding that you have to be good enough. So many people think the Christian message is Lift yourself up by your bootstraps. Be good so that God can love you. So many people think that you just have to improve yourself and that the Christian message is one of self-help where God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible, people. People think that the Christian message is about kind of approving yourself so that God could look upon you a little bit more favorably. But that's so far from the gospel is insane. For the Christian message is, you're not good enough, folks, and you can't be. That's why it causes offense. Because you feel that abrasiveness. there, <laughs> are like, oh, I can't be good enough? Yeah, that's true. You can't do it. You can't be good enough to get in heaven. You can't do enough. You can't love people enough. You're just not going to do it. But, right there is that gospel but. I love it. But, Christ has done it all. Believe in him and you can have a relationship with God. Believe in him, and he'll change you from the inside out where, yes, you do start doing good works. Yes, you do start loving people. Yes, but it all flows from that earthwork change that does not earn you something, does not achieve something for you, but is a result for how God has saved you and given you a new life. But so many people get caught up in this idea I just gotta be good enough. I can't, I don't want to be a Christian because you just have to, you, you have to do these certain things, follow this list of rules, and, and so they don't even want to look at who Christ is or who God is because they're caught up in this idea. I came face to face with this once when I was doing youth ministry up in Colorado, ministering to some junior hires, and we took them to, uh, a camp, it was with the Ministry of Young Life, and, and the, the camp is a week long where they hear the gospel very clearly, laid out to them in the midst of a great environment and fun that's happening, they hear the gospel. And one of the final times, because after every kind of gospel uh, or talk, we gather in the cabins and we talk about what they heard and, and kind of have some questions we work through, and so after this final gospel presen- pre- presentation, where it's very clear the, the speaker very clearly laid out who God was. A good king who we've gone astray from. He's very clearly laid out. There's a need that we all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. He laid out that there's this great hope that all we have to new, do is believe in Jesus and we can be saved. He laid that out so well in talking with these students so often, so many of them said, man, yeah, I want to follow Christ. I want to know him. But... I think I just need to get my life in order first. As a college student leading them, I wanted to tear my hair out. Like They didn't understand. Have you been listening? You don't need to do that. Christ has done it all. Get your life in order. You can't. Just run to him. And he'll sort it out. So this is a common misunderstanding where we think we have to be good enough which is not the gospel. Or, take another common misunderstanding, the holier-than-thou misunderstanding. So many people might be turned off, this is really related to be good enough, but so many people might be turned off about Christianity and who Christ is, because they look at Christians, and they have a false understanding that they think they're better than them. They say, Christians think they're better than me. They act like they're better than me. And I'm offended that people think there might be better Than me. But if any Christian acts like they're better than someone else, I would argue they don't understand the gospel. For we enter into people's messy lives if we share the gospel and we see their sin and we can't judge them as if we're going to condemn them and look down upon them because that. Why? Because we go there, but for the grace of God go I. That I'm just a couple bad decisions from being right where they are. But thank you, God, that I know you and that you've directed me here and that I can actually give them an answer, a solution where they can know you and respond to you. So, people who can confuse that somehow Christianity make, is, uh, makes Christians think they're holier now don't, don't know the gospel. So, again, we have to clear up that misunderstanding as we seek to explain to them how we're all saved only by grace through our faith in Christ. You might think of some other misunderstandings that can crop up. You might have experienced others. But our response should always be how Paul and Barnabas responded to a misunderstanding. They sought to clarify the gospel. That we need to be clear about what we believe. That we need to be clear. When we people come at us with objections, we need to be able to explain, that's not what I believe. Let me tell you, about the God of the Bible, and better yet, let me tell you about his son who saves sinners. We need to be able to articulate what we believe and stand true to that even in the midst of conflict because God uses our steadfastness to grow the church. Finally, we see one, I would argue, one other form of conflict in Paul and Barnabas, and that is outright assault. Paul is in Lestra, He's just performed this miracle. Maybe he offended people too when he denied the sacrifice to him. But these other people came from these other these cities that he already left, and they stirred up the population against him. And so they stoned him. I don't know if you guys know what stoning is, but they basically took him outside the city and threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. This was not a mild beating, because they thought. Paul was no more. They left his, what they thought was his dead body outside the city and went back in. Outright assault happened because Paul was preaching the gospel. I love asking questions like you read this and you're like, how come Paul was stoned and Barnabas right there was not? Well, I think because the same reason why Paul was named Hermes. He was the one preaching the most. He was the one speaking the most. He was declaring the gospel to people, and so they said, we're going to shut this guy up, whatever we have to do, even if we have to stone him. And so they did. But I love Paul's reaction to getting beaten by rocks. He says the disciples gathered around him. He gets back up and heads right back into the city. Says a night, and then probably like, hey, let's not repeat this right now. And so they head to a nearby city, Derby. Paul and Barnabas did. But it's not like he was running away because after ministering in Derby, they turn around and they go right back to Lystra and they go right back to Iconium and they go right back to Antioch and they go right back into all these other cities that people were planning to kill him. And so he stood fast, even in the midst of being assaulted physically. And he preached. We get this in verse 22, we get this little snapshot of what he was preaching as he went back through these towns to the disciples. He was saying, He, um, he was saying how we live, uh, that he was preaching, <coughs> sorry, I can't find it. Oh, right, he was preaching that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I love that because he was living what he was preaching, and he was preaching what he was living, that he was walking back through and says, hey guys, they might stone you, but you must stay true to our God. And through those many tribulations, we too can enter the kingdom of God by our faith, based on God's grace. He was teaching them to be steadfast, the church stays true. And the same should be true for us, we have to be willing to stay true for God. Be true to His word. Be true to what He has called us to do. Be firm in our preaching, and proclaiming the gospel, no matter what. I'm happy, so happy, to say I don't think anyone here is about to experience stoning anytime soon. But we get beaten up and assaulted. In other ways, if you stand true for the gospel, you might step into the public sphere on social media and you might take a beating as you stand true for the gospel and the moral ethics that flow from the gospel. You might be banned from friend groups. You might be, people might not want you in the public sphere. People might not want you practicing your, your craft as a Christian. I mean, you just have to look at the news. And if you don't know, there's a Colorado baker who has been battling in the courts for over 10 years that he can practice his Christian belief in his workplace. And people are fighting that. And it's a really real thing that we might get being up in how people look at us or how they talk about us or something like that. So we'll experience that conflict. And we know of places where Christians are physically being assaulted around the globe for their belief. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters. And we might experience less of freedom, maybe if laws get passed, or if we're looking at it, we might get nervous about what's going on in our, in our government, and our society. But in all that, in all those worries, what are we called to do as we stand firm on the truth of who Christ is? And we boldly proclaim what he has done for us, and what that means to follow him. And we pray for our brothers and sisters who are experiencing conflict in those more extreme forms, and we seek to serve them as we can. And we know through all of this that God uses our steadfastness to grow the church. In all conflicts, God uses our steadfastness to grow his church. Because that's what you see at the end of this passage. When Paul and Barnabas are traveling back through the cities or heading back to the big Antioch town, city that sent them, what are they doing? They continue to preach the gospel and it says that they are encouraging the believers in these new churches. It says this, they are strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. So they're going back through his towns and they're encouraging them because you know that these towns, planted in places of conflict, were experiencing that themselves. And so they're encouraging them and strengthening them, urging them to say true. They were making sure the church was set with leadership. They were appointing elders with fasting and praying, committing them to lead the churches well so they, that they can go back and rest assured that God is still going to be working through these churches and growing them. In all this conflict, he was seeking to grow The church. Paul and Barnabas were seeking to grow the church. And in all the conflict we experience, we should seek to do the same thing that we grow the church by staying steadfast to what God has called us to do. Stay true to who God has called us to be. In division, we. We remain true to God. In misunderstandings, we stay strong for God. In assaults, we stand firm on the truth and we say, I will not move for this is what God says to be true. And in all of this, God will use it to build his church. God will use it to bring people to know him. You know, I love this account, this account of Paul. Because you see, if you know the history you see how God uses it to build the church. Because you guys, do you guys know who comes from Lystra and Iconium that Paul later picks up? Timothy. So Timothy, who becomes Paul's comp- companion, who travels with him on other missionary journeys, who he sends out to help strengthen churches that were planted, who, is, who has two Bible, uh, books of the Bible named after him. This Timothy, his mother and grandmother were strong in the faith. But he comes from Lystra and Iconium. Which means that his mother and grandmother, they might have been listening to Paul and Barnabas. And they might have been drawn to the gospel by Christ. And they might have given their life to Christ then and there. And then raised their son, Timothy, up in the faith. So much so that when Paul comes back on his second missionary journey and he walks into Lystra, they say, here is Timothy. People have looked at him and seen him grow in the faith and say, take him and use him for the glory of God. I love this story because you see right there in just one small example how God used Paul's being steadfast in conflict to grow the church. If Paul had cut and run, where would would there be of Timothy? We don't know. But Paul stayed true, Barnabas stayed true, and so there was people of God, people of God growing in those cities. I look around at our church family. And I marvel how God is using us and can use us. That we have experienced conflict in the past. We have experienced maybe division in the past. But God has used that, I would argue, to make us stronger and grow us so that maybe a lot of what is happening right now, when we're looking towards the future and looking for what God has called us to do, he's used us from of remaining true to grow his church. And that we need to be encouraged by that. And we need to look around at new families who come in and see that being fruit, part of the fruit of us remaining steadfast and that this can continue and grow as God seeks to grow our community of faith. So personally, we're called to be steadfast when the heat turns on. When you maybe have to take a, back from social media because of what's going on when maybe in your workplace it gets hard to stay true to what you know is true in school or wherever you find yourself when you feel that conflict brewing you stay true to who christ is speak boldly the truth of jesus in the marvelous gospel so that god can use your proclamation to change hearts and bring people to who to him God uses our steadfastness to grow the church. Join me in prayer, dear Father. Thank you so much. Thank you for your word that we can read this account and action, see how you work throughout history, but also see how you use us in the same ways. That you might not use us in such a dramatic fashion, and we, we might not be going to uncharted territory territory like Paul and Barnabas were for the gospel, but we are called to stand firm no matter what. That we're called to stay true to who you called us to be. That we stand on your truth and we are not moved from it. That we hold out the great gospel to all who would hear and hope they respond, hope that you move so that they can Lord, I pray for all of us that you give us the courage to stand true for who you are, that you give us the wisdom to know which hills to stand firm on and which we can concede, that you speak through your word in ways in which we can follow you all of our days and be faithful to what you have called us to be, all for the purpose of glorifying your name and proclaiming your gospel to all who would hear Lord, we love you. We seek you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.